Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I believe with every fiber of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. I'm Rebecca Hudson and this week I am overjoyed to be joined by Brendan Chilton, Labour councillor in Ashford, Kent and the head of the Labour Leave campaign in the 2016 Brexit referendum. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing in delightful Ashford? Very well. It's lovely and sunny down here. Slight chill, but it's always nice to be back in the countryside and not in London. Yeah, we can sympathise. We're um, we're always very (laughs) jealous of people who get to work from home, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we've got eight days, Brendan, until the election. Eight days until we elect a Labour government and we have a country for the many and not just the few. Oh, keep that energy. And then just 58 days and until you guys, well, not certainly not 58 days until we deliver Brexit then if, if you guys are in charge. But we'll get to that. So you are this mysterious and elusive Labour lever um, or Lexiteers, as I think we call you. Um, yeah. How are you just how are you finding this election campaign so far? It's been kind of mad, hasn't it? It, it has indeed. And I think what, what the first, let's deal with the positives first. I always like to start on a positive note. There is actually a very clear choice. Uh, for a very long time in British politics, both main parties have sort of, as Farage says, a cigarette paper between the two of them. You could only just fit. Uh, this time you could fit an entire pack of cigarette papers between the two because there is a real difference. You want to, There's a choice between a Labour Party that's much more interventionist economically, it's moved considerably to the left, wants to bring back public ownership of utilities, and then on the other hand, you have a Conservative Party uh, that is much more focused on um, delivering, uh, leaving the European Union uh, and also pursuing uh, the traditional uh, matters that relate to the Tory party, law and order, business and economies. So you do have a choice. What is interesting is that the Conservative Party has slightly veered off to become a more party of, of spending, not as much as Labour. Um, but the austerity days do appear now to be over, um, with even the Conservatives promising more spending on police and uh, on health and also an evolving picture on social care. So we're, there is kind of a new consensus gradually emerging after a decade of austerity uh, that actually the government does need to spend more, which in itself is very interesting. But I'm sure we'll come on to that in a bit more detail later. It's kind of incredible that the, a Tory government is able to blame another Tory government for ten years of aust- <laughs> for years of austerity. I'm, it's quite an incredible coup that they've managed to pull off, isn't it? It, it is remarkable, <laughs> but the Tory party always seems to manage to survive and do this sort of thing. They adapt, um, and to those of us on our side, we look on in some respects with envy uh, that despite the. 10 years of conservative policies, they, as you say, they are presenting themselves as new conservatives, as yeah. it were. 
Yeah, whereas you guys are kind of beaten up for things that happened um, under prime ministers from years ago. It's, in, it's quite well, Absolutely, yeah. You'd think, yeah. You'd think <laughs> it was still Tony Blair at number 10, the way sometimes your policies are dredged up. Um, well, there's no justice in politics, is there? No, no, nor on this podcast, actually. Um, okay, so, you, so, you, so you're saying big, dif- big difference between the parties. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've, you touched on something kind of interesting there about how, and we were going to talk about it later, but I think now is the time, about how the Tories maybe have taken some of the wind out of your say by promising to spend money on the NHS. It's such an emotive subject for British voters, as you know. Um, there are these kind of questionable numbers that they've been banding around. So 50,000 new nurses, 50 million more GP appointments. Um, you know, they've kind of, you know, they're, they're promising to spend on the NHS, but just a little bit less than you guys. And do, has, do you think that's kind of, it was kind of clever on their, on their part. Do you think voters are going to buy it, that the Tories have suddenly kind of fallen in love with spending money? I think as a sort of a, pre-statement to all this, I think some of the the problems in this election is that the figures being bounded about by both the Conservative Party and the Labour Party are so enormous and so fantastic. It is quite difficult, I think, for the ordinary punter, the ordinary voter, to actually conceive what that looks like. And so when the Tories say 50 million new uh, appointments and uh, well I won't say the number on uh, nurses because we're not quite sure what the number is um, it's very difficult for people to imagine I don't necessarily think they have actually stolen our thunder on this because the, while they you know the conservatives are managing somehow to present themselves as this new party this new style of leadership actually people realize we have had 10 years of a conservative government I mean I, I speak to people all the time that say that they sit there in A&E for hours on end uh, waiting for an appointment. I, I've spoken to people who's, very sadly, a lady whose daughter was diagnosed with cancer. Her operation was cancelled four times. So these real-life experiences do permeate through. And so I don't quite think that. I think where the Tories are uh, starting to steal Labour's thunder a little bit is, as I've said, because the figures being used are so enormous, it's very difficult for ordinary people to conceive of them, and not just ordinary people, but even people involved in politics. And when uh, you look at Labour's spending commitments and the Tories, you're talking hundreds of billions of pounds, and most people, you know, haven't even seen a thousand, what a thousand pounds looks like in a pile on the table. So to talk of these huge figures is very difficult. Um, the other thing as well I think that's very important in this debate is that Labour has consistently always um, been more trusted on the on the NHS than the Conservatives. And I think in this election, there have been one or two polls that have shown that actually the Conservatives are now more trusted. And it's not necessarily because the public feel they're more committed to it. Again, it comes back to these fantastic figures. They just cannot relate the numbers Labour are talking about in terms of investment into what that actually translates to in service delivery. Um, that said, I, I still believe that Labour is far more trusted on the NHS in the public um, when it comes to the, the, the sort of emotional relationship with it. You know, the people know that Labour governments will always do more for the NHS than Conservative governments. The Labour Party's got this sort of deep, nostalgic, emotional attachment to uh, the NHS that I don't think any other party has to any other part of the public sector. Yeah, no, we would completely agree. And I think another kind of massive number that none of us can actually um, visualise is the two billion trees that the Labour Party have promised us. I mean, I... <laughs> I, I was told... Okay, where are they all going? Of, well, I was told if you if you put them... Apparently, I mean, I'm not a tree expert by any measure, but if you put these trees in the ground, they, they need a certain space between each tree so that the roots don't sort of mess each other up and all the rest of it. Uh, apparently, you need an area the size of Wales. 
<laughs> to, oh, right. uh, oh, that's our plan for Wales then, out. is it? <laughs> <That's>... well, exactly. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. We will make Wales a truly green nation. Yeah, two, um, <laughs> two billion magic money trees, it would appear. <laughs> well, some Tory ones in there too. But I think, I mean, one of the things it is, it is very important because one of the interesting things, of course, is, I mean, a study, as I understand, is currently being conducted on the number of trees that have been chopped down as part of developments or because they've been felled across the country. And some local authorities in the past five years have removed up to five, 6,000 trees. Um, and so it's quite sensible. It's also a very symbolic gesture, I think. And all, I think all the main parties are committed to planting trees. I think the Brexit Party said we should plant a million or something. I can't remember. They'd now, have the chosen concern. the lowest number. I feel like the Brexit Party are the least concerned with trees. I would, I would think. If I were to hazard a guess, I feel like Farage is not getting kind of green fingered anytime soon. He's not out there with his say digging up holes, planting seedlings. No, no he has enough big um, holes that he's dug himself into. I think <laughs> I could possibly comment without trees. Anyway, yes. Yeah, but it is—it seems to me to be a, a symbolic gesture. You know, we all know that they're good for the environment. We know they capture carbon and all the rest of it, and also it's good to replace them for the natural world. Um, so yeah, I think I do think it's a good policy, and I actually think the public will support it. You know, one of the things as a local councillor I find is when you get local authorities turning up, and pruning back great wonderful old trees, the residents get very angry about it. You know, they really don't like it. Look what they've done to that magnificent old oak. They've chopped it all down and ruined it. Especially a lot of it, it sounds ageist, but a lot of older people. People say that. Uh, I don't know if you've got grandparents or, or elderly relatives, but when you go around, they always look at that out the window out there, what they've done to that tree. Isn't it terrible? You, you can hear them saying it. So it's uh, it's called a populist in a way. It, every conversation I have with my parents recently has been about sort of various various happenings with the trees in their garden. So yeah, <laughs> no, you're completely right. It, it was a certain generation, trees are, trees are what's dominating this election. Um, yes. So you are we've you are a lexiteer. Do you like that label? I, I don't mind. Don't I'm mind a Lexiteer, Brexiteer, Democrat, whatever you want to call whatever it. Whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, you're, you're, in a comp, you're in a tricky bind, I think, as a Labour Brexiteer, as um, we spoke about this podcast many times. I mean, if you want Brexit this election, surely it's you've got to vote for the Conservatives. I think what, lots of people have asked this question and said, of all of us, that there are more that there's more than just me. I would just point out there are now quite a number of Labour Brexiteers. And recently the commentary has changed and Labour Party strategy has begun to change because they realise that there's a lot of us out there. And a lot of those Brexiteers are in Labour heartland seats. A lot of them are Labour Brexiteers. And the party is, according to the polls, uh, struggling to maintain their support. But in terms of, of where we are, I mean... I, I always felt that having a general election to, as the Conservatives say, get Brexit done was daft, because although it's the Tory line, I am yet to meet one Tory MP, and I meet a lot of them, despite being on the Labour side, uh, that actually thinks this election is going to get Brexit done. Um, whatever happens on the 12th of December, if the Conservatives win by a majority, um, or even if they win by a small majority, um, by no measure is the date of the 31st of January is certain. And that's because if you get a small conservative majority, the ERG could play up and go, well, actually, because a lot of them privately are not happy with his deal at all. Um, they could play up and say, we want a better deal or we want no deal. On the other hand, there are about 100 Tory MPs at present in the One Nation group, led by uh, my own MP, actually, Damien Green, who went to Boris Johnson and said, under no circumstances do you put no deal in the manifesto, and he didn't. So if he gets a larger majority, they could play up. Um, of course, if we get a hung parliament, it's anything to play for. But in terms of my own position, 
I always think in a in a general election, um, although I am a Brexiteer and I, I want to use the phrase get Brexit done, I also want to see a Labour government because, frankly, I'm fed up uh, of 10 years of Tory government where, I mean, I'm a school governor. I know every year my school is struggling to make ends meet. We have to fundraise to our parents. As a local councillor, I've seen the impact on social services and cuts to the housing departments and things like this as a result of government policy. Uh, residents in my own ward on universal credit. There's a whole host of other issues that come into play in a general election um, that you have to consider. And I think looking at the two um, manifestos and looking at the two values of the main parties, that it is far better, far, far better to elect a Labour government to deal with all those other issues um, in this general election. Mm. So would you rather then have just had one of the the many votes last year that we had that were tabled, would you rather that one of the Tory Brexits had been passed um, this year in March 2019 or one of the, sort of, you know, Theresa May's deal or Boris's deal, yeah. that it would have been all dealt with? And then, like you say, we could have had this election on the glorious 12th of December and elected a government to deal with all the other things. Is that what you would have yeah, preferred? I mean, when, when Boris's deal uh, came out, I was extremely critical of it. Um, I was very, very unhappy. Um, with what it did to Northern Ireland. Um, however, I did accept that that was a, a transitional arrangement. Um, and if I'd have been in the House of Commons, uh, when Boris's Johnson deal was put to the Commons, I would, on reflection, have now voted for it. Um, there were 21, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 19 uh, Labour MPs um, who voted for the deal. Um, and it, it actually passed in the House of Commons. It, it got a majority. Um, the unfortunate thing was the, the then subsequent timetabling um, of the, the, the thrashing out of the bill, as it were, through the various processes. But had that bill, had he not pulled the bill and just accepted a slightly longer timescale to debate it, I think we could have got that done. And I think by now the first stage of Brexit would have been dealt with. I mean, isn't this incredible, though, that you as a, you know, a die in the war Labour type would support, you know, a benchmark Tory policy, a Tory Brexit just to get. I mean, this is like this is a Brexit election. We're a Brexit country now, aren't we? Like it, it is astounding that you would say that you would rather that you would have preferred that to have happened in that time frame than potentially us have. Uh, the the Labour Brexit that that we'll talk about in a bit, the sort of j- workers' jobs first Brexit. It's well, I think I think there's been a, obviously a lot of commentary around this, and when when you look at what Brexit is, the country voted to leave the European Union. Um, as we say, the the detail of what leave looked like was not on the ballot, but at the same time, the detail of what remaining would look like was not on the ballot. For my mind, and I think in the mind of the overwhelming majority of Brexiteers. Leaving the European Union means leaving all its political institutions, ending the jurisdiction of the court, leaving the single market and leaving the customs union. You can only do that if then you will satisfy taking back control of laws, trade, money and borders. So there's nothing Tory about that. There's nothing socialist about that. It just is a fact. And so when people say, oh, you're Labour and you're supporting a a Tory Brexit deal, no, I'm just supporting what the people voted for. Five million Labour voters supported that. And at the last general election, uh, when Labour um, said that it would honour the outcome of the referendum, free movement would end, we're leaving the European Union. If you combine the Labour and Tory vote in 2017, 80% of the electorate supported that. Um, and we're now in this funny position where, unfortunately, some elements within the Labour Party and the Liberals, Greens and Scots Nats have done everything they can um, to, to stop that happening. And a lot of those people within the Labour Party uh, who are trying to overturn the result of the referendum 
um, have now abandoned ship, as it were. Uh, for example, our deputy, he's no longer our deputy leader, but Tom Watson was one of the strongest voices in driving Labour towards this position of, first of all, having a second referendum, and then secondly, having the option to remain uh, on the ballot paper in that second referendum. And there is a notable shift that took place in the polls. Uh, once Labour, we, we had been behind in the polls um, for some time uh, since Boris became Prime Minister and also subsequently under a May. But when we adopted that policy, there was a notable shift in the polls. And ever since we took that on, we have consistently been behind the Conservatives by a much greater margin than previously. Mm. Tom Watson led the Labour Party. You think it was Tom Watson? You think it's Tom Watson's fault? No, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I blame, I attribute it to him largely because he drove this policy, but other people too, like Keir Starmer, uh, like Emily Thornberry, they have driven this policy up to the top and now we are where we are. Labour MPs in the Midlands and in the North and in parts of Wales are getting results back from their constituencies uh, on uh, postal vote openings that are going, hang on a minute, this is looking quite tight. Um, and a lot of these people are die-in-the-wall Labour people, but who are now voting Conservative because they do not want a second referendum. And since the referendum, uh, I've warned in, in God knows how many articles, some of them for your, your paper, uh, that if Labour goes down this route, winning the subsequent election will be far more difficult. And we've gone down that route, and eight days out from, from polling day, we are still behind in the polls. I mean, absolutely. I mean, what you're summing up here, though, is the total kind of bipolar nature of your party now, isn't it? Is that you are as much of the kind of quinoa on toast tofu lovers of, uh, of Islington as you are people like yourself and like you're talking about sort of like East and West Midlands, um, those northern constituents who did vote to leave. And so, I mean, what? so you would have been prepared to have kind of forsaken all your Islington comrades and you'd have stuck to a uh, a Brexit policy that meant we were out on the 31st of January at the expense of all those, yeah, delightful, delightfully well-turned-out people in, in North London. <laughs> well, I, I always... Well, the finest people are Brexiteers, in my opinion. And, and the we finest agree, the we agree. Are, but no, but I'm going to go one further. The finest of the finest are the Labour Brexiteers. <laughs> well, you're uh, pretty rare. So you're rare. <laughs> rare and complicated beasts. <laughs> very niche. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, if, you, I, mean, if I... If I had no principle on this issue and I was a party strategist sitting uh, in central office uh, prior to this election, I have to just simply look at the arithmetic. Labour's 20 most marginal seats, 80% of them voted leave. Of the top 20 seats that we would need to gain to uh, form a government or deprive the Tories of a majority, 75% of those voted to leave. Um, just over four and a half million of our uh, voters in 2017 supported leave and a lot of them are spread across marginal seats and heartland seats so as a, an electoral strategist i would look at the the battlefield before me in this election and go a second referendum and remain is not the direction i should be sending my troops in uh, i should be going right the battlefield is in the leave heartlands the seats i need to win voted leave and i would suggest that going up streets in those leave areas, a lot of them former industrial towns, a lot of them small towns in the south of England as well, places like Chatham and Medway on the North Kent coast, not far from me, um, and others such as Mansfield in the Midlands, uh, going up that route and saying second referendum with the option to remain is not necessarily going to deliver those seats. Um, 
But I also would go back to 2017 and say when Labour adopted a Brexit manifesto, and I know we're told that a lot of Liberals voted for us on the basis that they thought we would stop Brexit and some Greens did too. The manifesto was explicit. It said we accept the outcome of the referendum and it said freedom of movement would end. And during the course of that campaign and subsequently, Labour leaders and, and figures in the party have said we would also need to leave the customs union. Uh, Barry Gardner, um, our shadow trade secretary, famously said that remaining in a customs union uh, but being outside of all the other institutions would reduce Britain to the position of a vassal state. Um, and people have listened to this and they've seen it. And uh, as I say earlier on, that's, there's nothing Tory about that. Labour was saying this uh, just a few years ago. Um, and so while we are in this peculiar position, um, I wouldn't necessarily say supporting Boris's deal or even Theresa May's deal uh, was sort of becoming a Tory and, a, and a, abandoning our own principles. It's just delivering on the manifesto and also looking at the arithmetic. Some of those majorities um, in London, um, they've got 20, 30,000 majorities. I think Emily Thornberry's example, for example, is about 28,000. It's huge. Um we can afford to lose, frankly, 10,000 Remain voters in Islington to the Liberals or perhaps to the Greens. We cannot afford to lose 21 Leave voters in Dudley. Uh, and we cannot afford to lose 300 Leave voters in Ashfield. Um, all of these are marginal. And so taking the principle of the matter out of it, if you just were a pure, pragmatic electoral strategist, any logic would tell you the people you need to win over are leavers and not remainers. Mm, absolutely, and you—I mean, the, the NHS is such a central part of all the of all the of everyone's campaigns this time round. But I mean, as someone—and you've spoken already on this uh, on the podcast about kind of you know the horrendous stories we hear about people who. Um, you know, who, who are struggling with this, who are struggling with an overstretched NHS and the kind of very real impact that has. But is not this, isn't it the, the safest way to safeguard the NHS now is not to have Brexit, isn't it? Because we know, you know, you can listen to Donald Trump all you want, but he tends to do the opposite of what he says. And it sounds like any free trade deal that we'd have to end, that we would enter into with the states would involve giving them access to, um, our health service and you know and then the subsequent impact that would have on drug price hikes and all that kind of stuff so if you know if this is an election about other stuff than brexit it's about safeguarding the nhs brexit compromises that um it, it can and it, and it can't and, I, and i'll say a little bit about this of course first of all i would say i wouldn't trust donald trump as far as i could swing him um and similarly with boris johnson when he stands up and says all oh, the nhs is not at risk uh, for a trade deal. Well, you know, the government has had meetings with the United States. What have they been discussing? Yeah. Um, so why you know, vote for his, so why would you want his deal? Why would you want his Brexit if you can't trust him as far I, as you could swing him? Well, because I think that the subsequent part of this is, is the, the point you make. This will be a negotiation. And when we go into any trade negotiation, the first thing um, the American negotiators and the British negotiate, negotiators will do is sit down and agree precisely what is on the table. Now, the Americans, of course, will push for healthcare being on the table. And I imagine if we do a deal with uh, the European Union, which I hope we will, they will obviously push for their agricultural products to be on the table. There's a whole host of issues that have to be negotiated. But I think the, the reality of, of trade negotiations, there's a, a, a good guy called David Henning, who is a trade expert. He's on the UK uh, Exploratory Trade Council, looking at these uh, precise things, has said, if we don't want the NHS to be on the table, 
doesn't have to be on the table. We can simply say no, and the Americans might go, okay, fair enough, then this is a particular oh, sector uh, you might be interested in. Might not be now, of course, of course, we know as a smaller country, and we are smaller, um, it will be much more difficult to, to, to bat uh, for our side, as it were. But I think if you have a government that is determined, and if you have a government that is resolute, I think you can protect the NHS. Now, if you have a Labour government, the Labour Party has said, under no circumstances is it going to be on the table. And if that means you don't have a free trade deal with the United States, we won't have one. Because, of course, if you don't have those free trade deals, you simply revert to WTO arrangements. So even if we, if we go into the negotiations with the United States and they say to us, you must have the NHS on the table, and we say no, uh, and we don't get that free trade deal, we will still be trading with the United States, but under slightly more restrictive arrangements. But one of the kind of big selling points of Brexit has been that we'd be able to strike us, strike free from the institutions of the EU and, you know, um, set up these, you know, these highly competitive deals with the biggest nations outside of the EU, which include the States. If we're on WTO terms with the EU and the US, I mean, post-Brexit, Britain is looking pretty bargain basement, isn't it? Well, it, of course, it's it's not the ideal position. And, and we would all prefer free trading arrangements with other countries. Um, but when the British government goes in to negotiate, it, it is negotiating for the British people. And I think the British people would not accept or tolerate under any circumstances uh, a dilution of their NHS as a public service free at the point of use for them. And I also don't think they would tolerate um, arrangements whereby insurance companies from America or indeed any other country uh, would have access to our markets which could push up, uh, push up prices on healthcare. That said, I think they'd be quite prepared uh, to open the door on other issues. Uh, for example, if we could have infrastructure companies that come to the UK to improve our road and rail network, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that. If you had a situation where um, we could negotiate with the European Union good energy and environmental uh, standards and things like this. I wouldn't be opposed to that, and I think most people in this country would also support it. On tech, um, the British people, I'm sure, would love to have a, a far stronger relationship with countries such as Japan and Singapore and, indeed, Vietnam, where the tech industries there are booming. I saw you got um, very excited so about their magnetic trains the other day. Yes, I did, yes. Uh, uh, I, I, well, it made me laugh. I said, the dear old Chinese are building magnetic levitating trains and we're arguing the toss over whether or not to have a train that goes slightly <laughs> faster to Manchester. I mean, yeah. and that, that's not going to happen for another 20 years. I mean, we really have fallen behind on these matters. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it, it is going to be difficult and it's going to require a British government that's strong and resolute, that's got good negotiators, and I think we should be going around the world now, and we should have been going around the world since 2016. Frankly, yes, I'm going to say it, stealing other countries' negotiators, their top people, and saying, get over here and work for us. Oh, um, because, what, you mean a free, uh, a, the free, a free movement of, of talented people to freely work in the well, UK? The, <laughs> a, a, with trade negotiators based on a points-based system. Oh, like they do in <laughs> Australia, one of those. <laughs> And actually, this is something where I think Dominic Cummings is absolutely right. I, I don't actually think he's this great strategist and genius that everyone says he is. But one of the things he recently wrote on his blog is if we go down that route of having a points-based immigration system where you determine what you need, perhaps annually in a vote in parliament or something, it completely takes the toxicity out of the immigration debate. And I think that's something that all parties would relish. And there's nothing racist, of course, or discriminatory about saying you want to have the best and the brightest from across the whole world and not just from Europe.
it does feel hard to understand how you're kind of reconciling these kind of various points of your debate. So obviously you're, we're dying, you know, we're, we're, you know, you're Labour till you die, apart from we do want Brexit um, and potentially you would have a Tory Brexit. And then the NHS is kind of the central pillar of sort of, you know, big central part of Labour campaign. But the biggest threat to the NHS at the moment would be Brexit and the free trade deals that we will need to survive outside of the world's largest trading bloc, the EU. Um, but we potentially walk away from that if they if we don't make the NHS available. It just feels really hard to kind of square the corners. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I, I should really be rocking <laughs> in some sort of institute. I mean, yeah, I? it's a bit <laughs> padded, <laughs> padded room. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to work it all out. But I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie. It is incredibly difficult when when the party that you you support and love and have campaigned for since you were, you know, had a an, any inkling towards politics is not necessarily going in, in the most positive direction on the policy that you feel most strongest about. It is incredibly difficult to to you know maintain those strong associations. But I still think a Labour government is always better than a Conservative government. Um, one of the things, looking at Labour's manifesto this time, that I did find very interesting, the Labour conference earlier this year, uh, sorry, uh, last year in September, voted to extend free movement and maintain free movement. The manifesto that we've stood on doesn't have that in it. It also, although the party has said we wish to negotiate a customs arrangement with the European Union, the word a customs union is not in the manifesto. Now, people will go, oh, well, Labour said last time X and did Y. I do think there has been a change. I do think the Labour Party has realised that actually this election is, whether we like it or not, a Brexit election. Uh, and the main issue people are voting on is, is Brexit. Um, and they look at, they're just looking at the arithmetic. Um, if only they'd looked at it earlier, uh, we wouldn't be where we are now. And I think we could have had a Labour government negotiating our terms of exit and a Labour government setting the foundations for the future. Had they heeded my advice uh, a few years ago, I think, I think Labour would be in government. Um, in terms of the, the the circle we are in, I mean, I, as you know, I work very closely with a lot of Labour Brexit figures, people like Caroline Flint, who is a, a new Leaver. As she campaigns to remain, but she's now a Leaver, and she's in a position where she doesn't support a second referendum. She voted against it. She voted for Boris Johnson's deal when Labour voted against it. But in this election, she's standing as a Labour candidate on a manifesto to hold a second referendum in Doncaster. Um, it's incredibly difficult. And it, you, you get all sorts of funny alliances and arrangements in this election. I mean, again, I, I, my, my own local MP for Conservative, Damien Green, he was on the board of Britain Stronger in Europe, the official Remain campaign. He still is a Remainer. At a hustings uh, locally the other evening, he said, I'm a Remainer. I, I, I think this is mad, what we're doing. But democracy has spoken and he's got to do it. And I'm a member of the Labour Party. The Labour Party has voted on a, uh, a manifesto and, and conference decisions. And as a Democrat, I don't like it, but I have to accept it if you're going to stay a member. Um, I just could never, ever bring myself to vote for or can support a Conservative Party. If the Labour Party tomorrow were eradicated as a force and it was only the Tories left, I'd abstain. <laughs> uh, I couldn't vote for them. Oh my gosh, it's so complicated being you. Your Twitter bio must be full of various caveats and kind of, I'm pro this, but it's quite a complicated time. <laughs> Another issue that's obviously dogged the Labour Party uh, for a very long time now has been its handling or mishandling of um, anti-Semitism from party members. Um, 
And kind of in a bizarre, in what I thought was a bit of a bizarre turn up yesterday on this morning, it was Philip Schofield that was able to get Jeremy Corbyn to apologise for the first time during this election campaign uh, for the heinous instances of anti-Semitism that we've witnessed. What, what have you, what's been your thoughts on the kind of Labour leadership's response uh, to the, to the anti-Semitism crisis? And do you, are you concerned that this is, you know, a big issue on the doorstep and this is going to hold, you know, and that this could, that, you know, it's an, it's an issue for the in the polls as well. Um, yes, I, I mean I think the the whole episode has been extremely unfortunate and regrettable. And I, I as a Labour member, uh, I'm embarrassed and ashamed um, that we have the Equality and Human Rights uh, Commission investigating our party into our handling of all this. Um, I would simply say, in all my time as a member of the Labour Party um, and in the various stages of my involvement, meetings and events, I personally have never seen or witnessed anti-Semitism. However, as a non-Jewish person, I suppose it's, it's quite difficult for me to identify it because I wouldn't pick up necessarily on the nuances and, and the digs and the attacks that perhaps someone who is Jewish would. Um, I'd always hope that I'd, if I did say something accidental, I'd be pulled up on it immediately and you say, you shouldn't say that, and I'd apologise. I do think the, the leadership's position on this and the handling of it has been, has been weak. Um, I think... Uh, we had a process that was far too slow in dealing with complaints and responses. Um, elements of the Labour Party are still in denial that there's a, a problem uh, on this. And I, I believe, I can't remember who it was, but someone said the other day that it had been manufactured uh, to attack the leadership. Well, that's a perfect well, instance of anti-Semitism, isn't it? People denying yes. its existence. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, my, my own view is if there is concrete evidence that someone has said, written or said or, or, or supported uh, something that is anti-Semitic or racist in any, in any way, uh, automatic expulsion uh, should be the, the measure. Um, I wish Corbyn had come out a lot earlier and said, I apologise, because when you're sitting in an interview um, and you're asked, will you apologise for what's happened uh, in your party over anti-Semitism or did any other matter, and you go, it's very unfortunate, all the rest of it, and then you're asked again and you sort of give a waffle answer again. Um, it is, it's just messy. Um, and you should just say, yes, I am sorry, we've got some things wrong, get it dealt with right away, and I think people respect you more for that. Um, we've also had uh, the, the rabbi, but when uh, the head of a, a religious community in the country comes out and says, I fear for what would happen to Jewish people if your party came to power. Um, for me, that's atrocious. I mean, I, I met a, a Holocaust survivor when I was in school some years ago. And um, it's, it's very similar in that, you know, the Jews in 1930s Germany feared the arrival of a certain party into government. Um, in my knowledge and in, in my study of history in this country, this is the first time um, the Jewish community has said uh, it would fear the arrival of a certain party in government since Mosley uh, walked the streets. And that is a shameful incident. And, and whatever happens on um, December the 12th, I think the first mission of the Labour Party, whether it is in government or whether it is in opposition, is to reconcile relationships uh, with the Jewish community, to have a formal reconciliation process, a big education process, and to actually really show the Jewish community, uh, the various Jewish communities, that we're on their side and that this is their natural home, which the Labour Party always was. 
uh, in the 1930s and 40s, the Labour Party was led by by Jews. Uh, and we need to get back to that, where they're, they're at the heart of our party. Yeah, I think that's what makes it all the more, well, even less, even more unacceptable, isn't it, is to, for them to feel betrayed by the party that had been their sort of natural home. It's mm. quite quite remarkable. Um, your final thing, because I could talk to you forever, actually, because I'm, I'm finding this dichotomy um, fa- absolutely fascinating. Um, You'll need to have a nap after this. It's just, it's very complicated. It is, I can't, yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> that you've kept going for as long as you have. I really have. Um, did Jeremy, bless him, kind of miss out on his Love Actually moment last night? We had, we kind of knew he was sort of planning this sort of um, bit of a duel with old Trump over the canapes, wasn't it, at Buckingham Palace about the NHS. And then he was, he was kept out of the room. And I kind of feel like that big having an argument with Trump was supposed to sort of galvanise your campaign for the next week and now it's not happened. So what are we going to do um, to keep, what are we going to do to give it one final surge? I think, um, if, if I just two things, I, I'll be yeah. trying to because I'm conscious of time. I've, I've, I don't like Trump. I think he's a bit of a clown. I mean, I know he's a good businessman, but you know, good businessmen don't necessarily make good presidents. Um, however, that said, when you are a contender for the office of prime minister of this country and head of our government and representing our country, uh, you sometimes have to sit down and negotiate with people whom you do not like. And attending protests and rallies and laughing at big blow-up balloons of a president of another country, particularly our most important ally and trading nation and intelligence partner, it just shouldn't be done. And I've consistently said it's daft uh, for any politician that wishes to lead this country uh, to be doing that. Because uh, if you are elected, you know, you'll be sitting in NATO summits or EU summits and UN meetings uh, with them. Um, so... Yeah, we we might not like Trump, but he represents the United States uh, at the moment. And if he's re-elected, he'll continue to do so. He is the president, but the office of the presidency outlasts any president. And that's what you have to respect. Um, Looking at Labour's campaign for the remaining eight days, what can we do to galvanise? One thing is we are narrowing the lead the Tories have in the polls. It's not going as fast as I'd like, but it is narrowing. the Labour Party are currently on about 31, 32, I think, as some of the poll of polls have shown. The Tories are on 41, 42. We only need to get up to about 35, 36 points in the polls to deprive the Tories of a majority. Now, we should be aiming for government, not simply depriving them of a majority. What we need to do in the last few weeks, get out there on the doorsteps. We need to be getting out there saying, not just on the NHS, but our other big popular issues such as housing, also getting out there and talking about what we're going to do for school. Education's really not being covered in this election campaign, but it is a major issue for parents. Um, loads of parents are getting letters sent home all the time saying, can you help the school fund this? Can you help the school fund that? Get out there and talk about those issues. We can turn it around. I think as well we need to maintain our discipline. One of the things that has been quite remarkable um, in this election is the discipline the Labour Party has shown, despite all the various factions and divisions that do exist in our party, uh, it has been on the whole united. Well, I think we you can only say that though because you've hidden uh, Keir Starmer and Emily Thornberry and Dan Abbott. They've all been taken off the off the rotation. They're not on television anymore. He's and incredibly <laughs> busy campaigning. You've sent them all. <laughs> you've all sent them somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're incredibly busy campaigning. I'm in, uh, sure that's what in, it is. In, yeah. in, in, in some Pancras <laughs> and in Islington South. Because they're very key seats and it's vital that they're there. Um, mm, okay, but, okay. <laughs> but that's what we need to do. And I also think one of the things we need to do is instead of just consistently attacking the government on policy, we need to expose its flaws. I don't think we've done that enough. 
We just continue to spout the NHS line. It is starting to seep through. But I think an examination of the Conservative policies, one thing they're saying is we're going to increase spending on the NHS, we're going to provide you with more police, but at the same time we're going to cut your taxes. Now, I've got GCSE in maths. If you spend more but don't raise more, you get into debt. Um, one of the things you, can, you might be critical of the Labour Party policy, we have issued that grey book and all of our policies, bar that waspy thing, uh, is oh my goodness. <laughs> And uh, we should have, we basically, we should have just included that in the manifesto. I mean, I don't know why you guys didn't. No, it was, it was silly. It was, yeah, it was a mistake. Thousands of women betrayed by the state. And <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should have just done that. That was a mistake. Yeah. Um, but that's what we need to do. I also think one of the things Labour have got to do is continue to drive home in those leave seats the fact that the offer we're going to give to the British people, we, we again, although Brexit is, is a Brexit election, Brexit hasn't really featured in any debate. It's not been, I, I personally don't feel, the big issue. Labour needs to get out there and show Leave voters that the credible Leave option it is talking about really is credible. Because if we form a government, if we form a coalition, if we do not put a credible option to the Leave voters in this country, it will never be accepted and the referendum will be illegitimate. And so that's what we've got to do. I'm going to make a prediction. Yeah. I'm going to say hung parliament. Oh, I'm not going no. to say Tory majority. Okay. Oh, but that's not doesn't bode well for your Brexit ambitions, does it? So it'll be well, a se- next time we speak to you, it'll be a second referendum. <laughs> we'll speak in 10, 20, 30 years' time. We'll <laughs> yeah. still be going, if only we'd done X, Y, and Z, we'll get Brexit done. But it's. I think that's what's going to happen because judging from uh, MPs I know in the Midlands and the North, in some of these marginal seats, Yes, the Tories have experienced uh, a surge, but actually the big issue for them has been the Brexit Party continuing to stand. Because while they, the Brexit Party obviously damaged Labour with our Leave voters, they take more Tory voters. And so we could find in this election that the, the champions of Brexit, as it were, the, the most valiant knights of all uh, in the Brexit Party, actually are the ones that cost Brexit their their interpretation i think you're the the knight of brexit truly um oh, i hope <laughs> i hope that the labor party have got plans to sort of ship you out all over the country and do a bit of last minute campaigning to try and close this gap in those in those labor leave seats because i think you've yeah you've nailed the apocryphal nature of that argument very well so thank you not a problem it's been a pleasure um good luck and hopefully i kind of hope you're wrong with the hung parliament because i think we all need we think i think we need this all cleared up but um we will speak to you in the new year um and okay. as we decide as we as we decipher what happens next with brexit thank you so much brendan <laughs> Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying The Countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying The Countdown, you can also leave us a review.